Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 368. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Now, welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. This week, I have a great episode with the team from the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, and that includes Dave Etler and all of the medical students that he has rotating through on the Short Coat podcast. If you haven't listened to that podcast, you should. It's part of the MedEd Media Network. You can find it at theshortcoat.com. Now, in this episode today, I have Abby and Emma on, as well as Dave, and we are talking all about kind of their journey to medicine, what the day in the life of a medical student looks like, what they're kind of looking forward to coming up, and much more. They are both second-year students at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, so kind of that will give you a little bit of context in where they are at in their journey. So without further ado, let's go ahead and say hello to the Short Coat podcast team. Now, the, the Short Coat podcast is a very special podcast because you guys are at a medical school and not many medical schools have a podcast. You know why? Dave, <laughs> Dave for the, the people who don't understand why medical schools don't have podcasts, explain why you're the crazy one and have a podcast. It's because school. they're chicken. Other, other <laughs> med schools are afraid. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. Okay, so I, this is my theory. Uh, I think other med schools are afraid to do this. And the reason I think this is true um, is that uh, medicine and medical education is somewhat necessarily uh, kind of conservative. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, are I'm asking, asking me. You, buddy. Uh, yeah, I don't. Well, you, I don't know about somewhat necessarily, but yes, I would agree I, that, that they, there are lots of crotchety old white guys <laughs> that, that yeah, run the show. Yeah. And so they are yeah, conservative. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're risk averse. And so when they do, uh, make podcasts, they're all kind of stodgy and, um, 
I, th- you know, I think they're all a little bit stodgy and, and, uh, quote unquote professional. And, uh, okay. we don't play that. Yeah, you, you definitely do not. <laughs> and you, every week or whenever you're producing episodes, you invite medical students in. And this week is no different. You have Emma and Abby yeah. there. Emma and Abby are both second year students. Emma, where did you come from and where are you going? Um, like as far as location goes? Sure. <laughs> um, I grew up in the Seattle area, Washington State. Um, and where am I going? I'm not sure. Yeah. What are your hopes what do you, and dreams? What do you want to do? What do you? Um, well, I'm really passionate about family medicine. Um, so I really want to work in that area. And I also really like um, like underserved settings and urban areas. So hopefully working at like a federally qualified healthcare center in an urban area. So you already got into medical school. You know that. You don't have to give the, <laughs> the answer that you think you have well, to give. That's what I'm actually passionate about. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I that's can awesome. I can okay. second that. Emma is very passionate about these things. It's inspiring, really. Thank you. Yeah. And what about you, Abby? Where where are you from and where are you so, going? So I'm from a small town in Iowa called Pella. I mean it's not compared to some Iowa towns, it's not that tiny, but and I am currently really interested in neonatology, so NICU stuff, the babies who are sick, and also PEDS palliative care. Uh and I am really interested in doing global health work. I did a summer last summer in Jerusalem working at a NICU there. And I would love to be able to continue those. So NICU and, and PEDS palliative care are both very, very, very sick kids. What, what draws you to that? So I really admire how Emma can really enjoy working with like, People over long periods of time on an outpatient basis, I would get so frustrated because it's, I need kind of like gratification. Like I need to be able to make changes and see the change happen. And in the NICU, I mean, we, we, this summer, like we had, you adjust the ventilator setting and then you take a blood gas an hour later and there it's already better. And so I like that, but I also, I love like emergencies. I don't know that I've ever felt more like alive than running off to a delivery room because there's a preemie about to be born. Like that is like, I don't know that I've ever like been more myself than doing that. And I also just like, yeah, I don't know what it is about myself. Maybe I'm just like a terrible human, but if a hard conversation needs to be had, I would like to be in the room for it. I think that I, I don't know. I just feel like I am naturally good at that kind of thing rather than like the conversations that Emma will be having like, hey, you have to take your metformin. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not optional. It's, I think, I'm I'm better at the conversation of like, hey, this terrible sucky thing is happening. Like, how can we do whatever we can to make it better? And like, how are, how are you doing emotionally <laughs> in it? I just... Like, I feel way more comfortable having those conversations than. For many people in our society, telling them that they should stop eating donuts is probably at the same <laughs> level emotionally that, that they are dying. <laughs> yeah, and I just feel more comfortable telling them they're dying, I guess. <laughs> so I asked my audience, I said, I'm going to have some medical students on the podcast. What do you want to know? And so I have a 
ton of awesome questions that all the pre-meds out there want to know, right? That they, <laughs> they want to pick the brains of the medical students. You are where they want to be. And so obviously the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of students is, is how hard medical school is. They think that all you're doing is sitting and studying. But obviously you're sitting here on a podcast having fun with me and Dave. <laughs> so outside of studying, what are you doing kind of day in, day out or weekly, monthly basis to to relieve that stress? Yeah, I think medical school is like a lot more fun than I was expecting. Um, here at Carver, we have different learning communities and it's a great place to like hang out and pretend you're studying, but really just hang out with friends. <laughs> um, but like outside of school, I really like running. Um, we just had our Thanksgiving break and I ran a half marathon. So I was able to train for that during school as well as like some of our classmates did full marathons during school. So like, obviously they had time to do like 20 mile runs on the weekend. Um, I also like doing like embroidery and art. I don't know. It's actually, I have more free or I create more free time than I expected that I would have in medical school. Yeah. I would definitely second that what Emma's saying. Med school is kind of what you make it. So if you want to exclusively study eat and sleep that is a possibility um and it's very easy to fall into that trap but you can you can do a lot of other things like uh i took a pottery class this semester and it was incredible i loved it 10 out of 10 would recommend um i try and get some exercise in because that is a good stress relief um i have a friend that we like just have movie nights almost every weekend. Um, that's what else do I do? You, I mean, it sounds like you gotta be intentional about carving out time for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, one of the things I have to do is I have to set a time. So it's like 9 PM right now, although sometimes I'm a little flexible and that is, I am done studying no matter what at that point, because I need to have a little bit of time to breathe and just, wind down after that and so i i try to be pretty strict about that i'm not if we have a test coming up then it's a little less yeah. um and that's helped me a lot to kind of be myself and a medical student yeah there's so much material in medical school that there's no possible way you can learn everything and so i think just like setting your expectation that you know i may not know everything perfectly but um the things that are important <coughs> will come back around and so I think that gave me a lot of freedom to be like, I'm going to work hard, but I can also take a break. Yeah. And like trusting the system too, that, you know, if they set passing at this level, <laughs> that if you pass, you're going to be an okay physician and not like, I don't know, just trusting that, like not getting down on yourself and you're like, oh, dang it. I did bad on this exam, but like you passed and that's enough. Whereas in undergrad, I definitely was a lot harder on myself. So I, I had to learn how to do that at first. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so dumb. But you have to, <laughs> you have to work through that pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I failed my first med school test, so I really was dumb when I started. Well, <laughs> you had to, it, it was practice, right? I mean, it was practice, yeah. definitely. It's, it's learning and understanding and course correcting, as I say all the time, to go, well, that study exactly. technique didn't work. <laughs> what should I do Yeah, I hear that time? all the time from these guys. I mean, it's yeah, the, yeah. The, the readjustment process that you need to go through almost constantly. Yeah. Um, once you, I think it, it, it seems to me from what y'all have told me over the years is that, you know, 
you can't get stuck. You can't get stuck with one process. You know, it's going to be different Mm -hmm. for every class. It's going to be different for every um, subject, every, you know, clerkship. Mm -hmm. um, And just like phase of your life, like depending how like my mood is or how like I'm doing, I I've used different study techniques to get Mm -hmm. like, just because sometimes I'm like, sometimes I can sit and read through the lecture notes just fine, learn a lot. Sometimes I do that and I'm like, did I learn anything? <laughs> so you have to, you just have to be really yeah. flexible with yeah. it. Um, and I think I do better too yeah. when I take more breaks and do fun things that aren't school. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things for students to understand is that it's like the the whole tortoise and hare thing, right? You will do better by taking breaks and not cramming and pulling all-nighters and everything else like you your brain will absorb all that information better so you you do need to slow down this is a this is something that um that we tell our students when they come in and i don't know how many of them actually i think most of them are actually like whatever i mean of course (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Of course, you have to like you know we 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 have no choice but to like study constantly and 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 beat ourselves up when things go wrong and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, they learn. Hopefully, they learn that uh, that's not necessary. Um, you know that you can you can you can fill your life with other things, and that will actually make you a better medical student. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Definitely. So, Emma, what is something that that you wish you knew before? starting medical school? Hmm. I guess I wish I knew that, like I said before, that I'm, it's not possible that I'm going to learn everything and that <clears throat> it's not really necessary that I learn it all the first time. Um, because like Abby was talking about, I got really hard, like down on myself when I couldn't um, keep up or I felt really overwhelmed. Um, I wish that I knew that other people felt that way too. Uh, I think it can be really isolating the first semester when you think that like you're the only one who's not keeping up or you're the only one not doing as well as you want to. But in reality, like talking to people later, everybody was feeling like that, at least to some extent. Um, So I think being more open about that and talking to like classmates, even though you just met them, like it's important to start those relationships and um, be open about that. Absolutely. Totally agree. I cannot. There have been many times over the years where I've had people in my office upset about one thing or another, mm-hmm. and I'm really glad that they feel like they can come talk to me about stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. what I usually tell them is, you have no idea what's going on behind yeah. the facade that your peers are are putting up. Yeah, I will say that I thought Emma was very together last year. <laughs> yeah, so. but she's a but she's a mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really mess so it, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and it's funny like we think social media right instagram has done this to our culture like we only want to put out our best pictures well guess what we've always done that we just now do it on yeah, instagram yeah. too we whenever your friends how you doing you're like oh, i'm great and inside you're like yeah. I'm dying. but no this is this is true of a lot of things like for instance um you know you look at your favorite author right you, your your favorite author releases a book and you read this book and you're like oh my god this this book is amazing but what you don't see is, you know, all of the work that goes into making something amazing. Yeah. Um, all of the, yeah. the, the terror and the self-doubt and, and mm-hmm. all those things that happen behind the scene to create this amazing thing. That's true mm-hmm. of people too. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of work and worry and stress and angst and all that kind of stuff. You just got to remember 
that you're not the only one experiencing yeah. these, uh, these fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was really big into photography at some point. And then one of the photographers that I followed, really famous photographers, like for every like one picture that you see that I have, there are, there are like 700 other pictures of that same thing <laughs> yeah. that I didn't yeah. like to get to this one that you think is amazing. And you're beating yourself up that you're not getting that same picture yeah. after three. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, something so, that I, I no. quote I saw recently was like, I, and I can't give credit to it. I don't remember who it was. But it's like, things worth doing are worth doing badly. Hmm. And like the idea that, like we we grow up thinking like, if you if you aren't good at something, don't do it. Or like you, you're mm-hmm. always like, but the thing is, is one, like I could tell you the first pots I made in pottery class, terrible. Now I'm making like vases. <laughs> but also like, you don't have to be good at it to do it. Like I have been crocheting lately and I am not good at it, but it's (laughs) fun and it relaxes me. And so it, you know, I don't have to be good at it to do it. So, Yeah. Perfect. So Abby, talk about imposter syndrome because that's what I think we're all kind of circling around this thing that's called imposter syndrome. (laughs) How do you deal with it and, and how do you see it kind of take hold in your classmates as well? Yeah. So I, definitely have imposter syndrome i think we all have imposter syndrome (laughs) Um, but i think one of the things that i have done is like acknowledging that i have imposter syndrome and just like you might feel this way abby that's not how it is and that might sound really basic or kind of dumb but it works and i also like am trying to acknowledge too that like i'm going to be better at some things than others so it's like Gosh, I was terrible at the initial biochem portion of medical school. I sucked at that. Um, I was, I was, I don't know how I can even describe how bad I was at biochem. But now we're in <laughs> in a more clinically focused class that is about like differential diagnoses and treatment, more focused than like disease processes. Um, we get a little bit of disease process, but it's more clinically oriented and I am doing really well at it <laughs> and so I think that helped like at first I would have thought like oh I'm a fraud at, like it's not real that I'm good at this because I'm bad at the other thing but actually it's it's fine to to you know we all have our our niches or we all have the things you're good at and so just acknowledging like finding like places like I am good at this I'm not good at the other thing, but that doesn't mean I'm like not the real deal. Um, yeah, and finding things that like make yeah. me feel confident helps. So I'm trying to think of an example. But <laughs> I, but I was, can't think of any. She yeah. can't think of anything she's good at right okay, now. Okay, I was like, I did a, a presentation recently to some old white guys about <laughs> trying to get funding for global health stuff. And I felt like I killed it. And so like trying to do things like that that make me like, feel really good help some old white guy it was it was like 70 year old (laughs) retired physicians looking for ways to donate their money okay Um, (laughs) we made too much money back in the day (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) we gotta give it to you um yeah going back to like imposter syndrome the first week of medical school maybe it was even during orientation i think it was during orientation i was totally convinced that i was not supposed to be here and like i was gonna drop out and i was like contacting my counselor from back home and i was like 
it was so stressful. And um, I'm glad that I t- talked to my counselor because she talked me out of that. Um, and I'm obviously still here. <laughs> um, but I think that imposter syndrome is like really prevalent in the first semesters of medical school. Um, but I think if for people who are listening, who are applying to medical school or got into medical school, like maybe just expect that. And like, it's normal. Um, and you'll get through it. Like you were supposed to, like, if you got in, like you're supposed to be there. Um, they didn't accept you just on a whim. So absolutely for for you guys, it, does it come and go as well? I mean, yeah, for sure. yeah, I think like, as I get, as I got more comfortable in preclinical, like I felt it less, but now that we're almost transitioning to clinical rotations, I'm like, so scared again and yeah um yeah it's gonna be hard there's sort of yeah. a it, it definitely is yeah. a cyclical mm-hmm. thing where you're you're there that first few weeks and you're like ah, oh i shouldn't be here they're gonna come tell me that it's the wrong person yeah. they admitted and and then clinical rotations start you're like oh i shouldn't yeah. be here and then you're an intern yeah oh i shouldn't be here and then you're an attending like, oh i really shouldn't be here <laughs> it never ends and i think oh sorry so, i think talking about it is really critical too because I remember our first semester, like eight weeks in, someone was like tearing up a little. And then suddenly we were all sharing the times that we had cried that week. Um, and <laughs> yeah, just yeah, that, that week. week. And, and yeah. everybody was like, yeah, I cried this day. So one girl was like, I've cried seven times already. <laughs> um, and that was so helpful yeah. for me because I was like, everybody feels like they're <laughs> Um. Yeah, it sounds like you you should have a a card uh, not a cardiology. I was going to say cardiology, a crying yeah. interest. Group. Ooh, that's such a good I was idea. Yeah, say free lunch provided too. So yeah, yeah, free lunch yeah. and tissues, the good tissues <laughs> yeah. with aloe oh, built yeah. in. Sure. <laughs> nice. It's going to be a thing. Um, how did you all end up in Iowa? I think Emma, you said you were from the Seattle mm-hmm. area, but Abby, you're from Iowa. As you were going through the process of picking schools to apply to, why did you pick Iowa to apply there? And how did you pick other schools? And why ultimately Iowa, assuming you, you maybe had other acceptances? So I'm going to be honest, I didn't even know where Iowa was on a map before I applied here. Um, um, and I would say most people in Washington probably don't know. Like half my friends still think I'm in like Ohio or Idaho, which is right next to Washington. Common problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I had actually listened to the Shortco podcast for like two years before applying. And I heard the students on here were like, seemed really happy and seemed like a welcoming place. So I looked up, um, the program online and I really liked what I saw with, um, the curriculum here and global health opportunities. Um, and then when I interviewed here, I just felt the most comfortable. I interviewed at, um, several other schools and this one was definitely the most comfortable and most welcoming. Um, yeah, so that's why I decided to come here. Yeah, so awesome. I did terrible on my MCAT. So just for all the pre-meds <laughs> listening, not a deal breaker. Uh, maybe makes it a little harder. But so I was the only place I admitted. I was admitted. Um, as far as applying, I mean, in-state tuition helps a lot. Um, being close to my, my family, I like. But also similar things to what Emma said, like, I really only applied at places with strong global health programs because I knew I was really interested in that. Um, and I, some of it was regional or like where I had family at. Some of it was just like, I applied to a school in Vermont just because it sounded quaint. 
He wanted a quaint med school. <laughs> what? Okay, look what at it. Yeah. It looks really cute. <laughs> Location does matter. Like I am a very um, Pacific Northwest like native. I love hiking and skiing and snowshoeing. And so coming to Iowa was a little bit of an adjustment, but I would say that location can be important. Yeah, probably. Yeah. What are you guys doing to get prepared for clinical rotations? I my roommate is an, is an older med student, and I just ask her questions very frequently. I'm like, "So tell me about this. Tell me about this. Uh, if I do this, is it going to be a problem? Can I wear scarves?" Um, I never really got a clear answer on that one. I'll keep you all updated. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, last night I got super nervous and like looked up YouTube videos on like how to do well on your clinical rotations. Um, didn't find anything <laughs> super helpful, but then I was talking to friends today and apparently a bunch of them had also looked up like how to study on rotations. So we were all comparing our notes, but so far just been asking other students and we have like a week um, at the beginning of January. I think that will help us prepare. It's called like transition. So transitioning into clinical um, clerkships. What does a day in the life look like for you all? So, I'm a lecture goer, so I'm in the minority here, probably. <laughs> I get up for our 8 a.m. lectures, so we don't always have 8 a.m. lecture, kind of depends. Uh, but on an average day, I'll get up, I'll have, we'll have two 8 a.m. lectures in one of our two courses that's not this. So here at Iowa, we have mechanisms of health and disease, clinical and professional skills, and medicine and society. And those last two are a lot easier. I mean, crucially important, which is not as hard as mechanisms of health and disease. And so our 8 a.m. lectures are usually one of those two classes. Then they go to our mechanisms of health and disease lectures, take a break for lunch. We usually have one more lecture right now, although at different points in our clinical or preclinical years, it's been different. Mm -hmm. Like we have different lecture schedules. Yeah, we used to have, like, first semester we had anatomy lab. Um, we also used to have a, a small group called case-based learning um, where we go through, like, a patient case um, little by little every week and give, like, learning presentations about certain topics. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, standardized patient interviews every once in a while, like, every couple weeks um, where we go and interview a patient specifically focusing on, like, a different part of the interview or physical or, um, like, information sharing. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I used to be a lecture goer and then realized, well, I guess I go back and forth, but I think we, all of our lectures are recorded. And I think that I've learned that watching the recorded lectures is a better pace for me. I'm able to stop it and like go back and review if I don't understand something. So mm -hmm. we have that available here. Yeah. And so then after our lecture is done, we might have other small group class activities in the afternoon or we might have nothing. Um, so if we don't have, if we don't have a small group on trying to study, then, um, usually go home kind of variably somewhere between three and five. I like to go home around five because then it's like, I don't know. I go home and I get to eat dinner. Uh, and I get like, I get a, a pretty long break that I walk home. It's just like 10 minutes and then I heat up my dinner and probably watch um hulu or something <laughs> for a little bit uh yeah then i study i try and be pretty productive studying in the evenings um till around nine and then i take some time to relax and go to bed and in there is like exercising um 
I do try and I have a few friends and I would say that aren't medical students. I try and see them pretty frequently because sometimes it makes me feel way more human to not interact exclusively with medical students. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, is how do you maintain those relationships outside of medical school? Because I think uh, back when I was in school, Mm. back in the day, um, uh, there, there, seems to be from some people a lot of resentment like oh you're too Mm. busy for me um how do you deal with relationships and and keeping those relationships as good as possible make time (laughs) make it a priority if it's important to you Mm. i think for me like because i was moving like across the country for for school my friends and i like and my parents we had conversations about like yeah i won't get to see you as much but we'll make time to skype um And I think like setting aside that time on the weekends, like a couple hours every weekend to either call my parents or um, certain friends um, has been really helpful. And it, I think it's almost good that I don't like live with them with, with like friends outside of medical school anymore, because then I feel like I would almost neglect them all the time for studying. But this way I'm able to like actually spend like be fully present when I'm talking to them and not be worrying about studying and stuff. Yeah, you often have to schedule it like two weeks in advance. Yeah. Uh, just because we are so busy. And, you know, it's not like busyness is exclusive to medical students yeah, either. So, true. Uh, so you, it doesn't happen quite as organically, but you do have to kind of plan around it and prioritize it if it's important. And it goes back to that like you have to make time outside of studying. Mm-hmm. I think the hardest relationship has honestly been my dog who still <laughs> lives with my parents. And every time I come home, she just cries forever, which makes me feel kind of loved. But uh, she it sounds uh, horrible. She clearly misses me. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Bring yeah, her to Iowa. I don't, you can I have don't dogs think in that Iowa. My mom is going to handle the dog coming to live with me. So, Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. You you, you have a uh, uh, what do you call that when when a, a custody yeah. battle? Yeah, I know, and I kind of also want to <laughs> prioritize my relationship with my mom a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. So for for you all, as you're going through this process, is there anything that kind of you think you learned along the way that every pre-med out there listening to this right now like they have to know uh wikipedia (laughs) (laughs) it's true i i that's like everyone asks like the first time what's the biggest surprise about medical school you use wikipedia (laughs) on the daily okay but for real you can fail a test it's fine um yeah i think from from what i've observed it, failure is part of the process almost mm-hmm. yeah i think i think it helps you, know, you yeah. can't be afraid to you can't be afraid to f- to fail because you're going to mm-hmm. yeah and it feels terrible and in some cases if you fail too hard you're going to get into a certain amount of trouble but you know uh, the more everyday types of failures like yeah i didn't understand that concept or i got a i got a grade worse than i wanted to get mm-hmm. on that quiz or test um, or I, you know, I did my, my OSCE and, um, I got some negative feedback about it. Um, 
those are all learning experiences. Those are all things that you can take into yourself and do something with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think it helps that I I really trust like the deans and the like the process. I trust that a lot. And I have a friend, she's uh, going to PA school, but I hear some of her stories about like the way the school is administrated. And I'm like, I don't know that I would feel comfortable there trusting the process. So like if you have the ability when you are trying to decide what school to go to, to like try and find a place that has a lot of very like supportive systems in place for the students, because that that allows some degree of failing because like they've said, failing is part of learning and you like this friend, she can only fail one test ever before wow. she like, and I'm like, that's not a safe environment because it's okay. Spoiler alert. Med school is difficult. It's <laughs> a lot of hard stuff. You're learning a lot of stuff really quickly and you have to have that, that freedom to, to mess up on occasion um, or even frequently. Yeah. I, I I like the uh, the very easily tweetable quote. Failure is just feedback. Mm-hmm. It's feedback that whatever you were doing mm-hmm. didn't work, and yeah. fix it for next Did time. Did you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say um, another thing. I think like pre med students or pre health students should know is that um, like medical students and doctors like all look different and come from different backgrounds. And like for example, when I was thinking about applying to medical school, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my ability to get in, and I thought that like because nobody in my family is a doctor or nobody in my family even works in healthcare, like who am I to go to medical school and become a doctor? Like why should I have that privilege, or how do I know that I can work hard enough for that? Um, but I think that if you really are passionate about it, it doesn't matter like what you what background you come from, um, you can still do it. Um, and then I'd also encourage them to know what they're passionate about and maintain those things um, regardless of what career path they go into, um, because those are the things that are going to keep you going and um, keep you like your excitement for life and for serving patients. And just to clarify, when you say passionate, like if, if you're passionate about soccer, like keep doing that because that'll keep yeah. you going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not absolutely. Not medicine yeah. related. Yeah. Or both. Like if you're passionate yeah. about serving a certain patient population, but also if you're passionate about playing soccer, like yeah. you can have both passions. Yeah. For either of you, do you have a mentor that is helping guide you in this journey? And if so, how did you find him or her? So I I did summer research at the University of Iowa one summer in undergrad. And when I he was he is a neonatologist, so he, that like he's doing what I want to do, except for I don't want to run a lab, I think. But so and I mm. I realized through our first year, like our ethics curriculum, that I love ethics, um, which I suppose goes along with like my palliative care interests. And so I approached the ethics professor and I was like, how could I learn more about what this like looks like? Because it's not, I don't know, it's something you have to kind of put more intentionally explore. Whereas, you know, if you want to do obi-gyne there's a lot of rotate you know it's like less you just have to focus like and more intentionally go after it and he was like yeah you should um do this distinction track thing and see if you can identify a mentor like do you have because he knew i wanted to do like neonatology type stuff and he was like do you know anybody in that department and i was like Oh yeah, I did research there, and he's like, just email that that doctor and ask if he knows anybody that 
like has this focus and then he actually was like super excited and he had a project he was just waiting for someone to approach him about doing and so now I'm doing this project um on babies with mm. bilateral renal agenesis and like ethical decision making so if you don't have any kidneys it's hard to stay alive uh and so I'm kind of bu- trying to build an ethical framework to guide physicians when they're presented with these patients on how how to approach the situation. Mm. Uh, and then that has kind of turned into like, I can ask him advice and stuff about like my career and things. And he, so that's been really, that's more of an informal one. Like I never went up to him and I was like, will you mentor me? Uh, but it, it's a good. Like, <laughs> it's like that reason. awkward, like, do you literally say, will you date me when you first start dating kids? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> will you be my mentor? <laughs> yeah, that's not usually how it works. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's another, like, uh, an emergency physician, but he's just, like, global health stuff. And so that that happened, like, he was honestly more initiating that. Like, he would be like, you have questions and stuff. And so that. Yeah, you just have to be able to respond to the opportunities as they come, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I've never had like a formal mentor where I was like, can you be my mentor? Um, but I've definitely had and have now um, physicians that I talk to and go to advice for, as well as like upperclassmen um, who are going into areas that I'm interested in. Um, but there's a lot of like um, opportunities. I, s- I think, especially when we get into more closer to when we want to des- decide what um, area we want to go into. Um, opportunities for mentorship and guidance like that. But yeah, I don't have anything like regularly meet with a mentor or anything. The upperclassmen, great resource. And they'll tell it to you, honestly. Uh, Some of the physicians can be like, put a more positive spin on it, but you know you're getting accurate information. (laughs) I think we have a program here too that you can go in this portal and pick out a mentor and then Mm -hmm. they have to meet with you as much as you want, I guess. There is a more... Yeah. yeah. Yep. Pretty much. There's like a drop down list of doctors that yeah. you just pick one. Yeah, and I awesome. did that, but then there's only so many hours of the day and I never met I, with them. I also did it and it, it was just like because it, it felt so forced. And I was like, I don't really know what I want out of this. It just yeah. sounded cool when the dean emailed me. Okay. Well, thank you both for taking some time to share your wisdom along this journey to my audience. I hope you both have the best journey possible as you go on to this next uh, part of your journey with step one and clinical rotations and all of that fun stuff. Thank you. I don't think I'm going to have fun with step one. Yeah. <laughs> That's not for another year for us. So. You got you got no. time. Yeah. You got time for that trauma. That's future and Emma and yeah. Abby's problem. Yeah, <laughs> not not time for worrying about that yet. And Dave, thank you for being part of the MedEd Media Network with the Short Coat Podcast and, and having fun with the medical students there at the University of Iowa, Carver College of Medicine. You're welcome. I, I can't imagine a better, a better group to have fun with. So uh, <laughs> it's a pretty amazing experience working with these guys. How can people find your podcast? Well, I would just start at the shortcoat.com. Uh, but you can always uh, you can always look us up on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google. I guess they don't call it iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts. Mm. Uh, your 
your Google device. Um, we're we're available practically anywhere. Fine podcasts are available. Wikipedia, so. apparently. Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do we have a Wikipedia? No, we don't have a Wikipedia. Oh. Can I make us a Wikipedia page? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. That's how I... I will be making a shirt coat uh, Wikipedia page. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm excited to see that. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you again, and uh, I appreciate your time, and good luck in your journey. Thank, thank you. you. All right, so there you have it. Again, you should go check out the Short Coat podcast over at theshortcoat.com or search for Short Coat Podcasts in your podcast player of choice. If you are interested in finding out more about the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine, go hit them up. Go uh, find out how to contact the Short Coat team and ask your questions directly to them. They will hook you up. And if you send in some voice feedback, they'll play it on air. So go check them out. Again, shortcoat.com or theshortcoat.com and check out all of our podcasts over at mededmedia.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.